In fact, this is your first general conference of the first apostolic church. Okay, if I can say it like that. This is where, Acts 15 is where we have our first report of doctrinal disputes and our first report of a council of elders, apostles to come together and try to resolve and be led by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in Acts 15 and 1 that certain men came down from Judea, taught the brethren, and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. What, what's going on in this day and this hour is, again, remi- remember, they are predominantly Jewish. The leaders are Jewish. They live by Moses' law. In fact, we'll, stu- we'll see here in Acts 15 that many of the Pharisees are what's pushing this, uh, this, uh, this doctrine of, in Christianity of assimilation into Judaism. And I, I know I'm probably boring you right now, but trust me, this gives you some background. The reality is the Pharisees are not as bad as we like to think they are in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus is, is closely aligned with the Pharisees. Now, he, he condemns the Pharisees for their spirit, their attitude. But the Pharisees were attempting to hold the line in a world and a culture that was, I'm going to use the term, going liberal. Okay? Again, in the context of culture, when Jesus walks the earth, when the disciples are walking the earth, the majority of Jews and are, are quickly becoming paganized. Okay, They have a watered-down version of Moses' doctrine. They don't even believe that God, the majority of Jews don't even believe that God can be known. Okay? They believe they're him to be an ultimate reality, a supreme being. Jehovah's out there. Yes, we can believe that. But we don't believe that we can truly know him. They're being influenced by Plato and Socrates, these philosophers from Greece. They're being, they're being uh, wooed by the, the money that's flowing through uh, Rome and through Greece itself. They're being... Uh, they're, they're trying to inundate themselves uh, in the culture surrounding them. And so, and so they've let go of a lot of things. They're not living according to the law. That's why, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but it's kind of interesting that Jesus would go to a, a Decapolis uh, in, the, in the book of Mark and he would find a herd of pigs. Jewish law forbid them not just from eating pigs, but from even, even touching the carcass of a, of a pig. Yet they're raising them. Now, some commentators disagree about whether they were actually eating them or just selling them to the Romans, but they were still breaking the law. You see, they had watered down all this. So the Pharisees are the ultra-conservatives. They're the ones that are trying to toe the line and maintain the integrity of Mosaic law. And, and, And so I say all of that to bring us back to Acts 15. The Pharisees that have been filled with the Holy Ghost, they still are holding on to the law. And they're saying, we can't water this down. We can't step away from this. We've got to be holy. We've got to make sure we're, we're living right. We've got to make sure that we're doing what God has commanded us to do. Their intentions are good, but there's a problem. Because the focal point of their argument is, once you are a Christian, you need to be circumcised. Now, I'm not trying to be crude, but you're going to have a hard time convincing a Gentile man that he needs to be circumcised. 
Again, I'm not trying to be crude or, or crash or anything like that. But these are real life problems. And they're preaching a message that if you don't follow the law, you can't be saved. Now, that's when Paul and Barnabas had no small dis- dissension and disputation with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. What did they do? They called a general assembly and they said, let's go talk about this. Let's pray through this and let's see what God would have us to do. And when they were come to Jerusalem... Verse 3, and being brought on their way on the church, they passed through Phoenix and and, and Samaria, declaring the the conversion of the Gentiles. They caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. Okay, So they're telling everybody about what's happening. But there arose a certain sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Again, we're coming back to the Pharisees. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, there was an argument. There was open debate. There were people from all over. They had, a, they had doctrinal, they had scriptures to push. They were, they were doing their best to, to convince the other side that this is what we needed to do. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Peter says, hey guys, if anybody's got any right to talk about this, it's me. God used me to go to Cornelius' house. I preached the gospel. I didn't realize that God was going to give the the Holy Ghost, his spirit, to the Gentiles. But I went and he gave them the Holy Ghost exactly like we did. We received the Holy Ghost with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. We were baptized in Jesus' name. Guess what? That's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 10. And, and, And guys, let's be honest. We couldn't bear the yoke of the law. We've been raised in it. And we would fall short. That's why we had to go every year to Passover and present a lamb. That's why we had to do that. We had to go every year and, and, and try to make atonement. And, and, and guys, we couldn't do it. So why should we expect these pagans to do it? These guys who have come out of Greek and Roman mythology. These guys who have been educated a different way. Who, who have a totally different belief system and background. How can we expect them to bear the yoke of the law? Okay. Basically what he's telling, I want to be clear about this. Peter is trying to make them understand that grace is what fulfills the law. Okay? Amen? But we believe, he says, that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Peter says, you know what's going to save us? Not adherence to a strict moral law or a strict law of Moses, but it's going to be the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Amen? Amen. God's good. So here's what happens. Verse 12, Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders that God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So Peter speaks, then Paul and Barnabas get a chance, and Paul and Barnabas basically get to remind the council, guys, I don't know what to tell you, but God is doing great things among these pagans. God is doing great things among these Gentiles. I know they don't look like us, believe like us. They don't have the same background as us. But God's still showing up and we're having revival. Okay? So after all of this, they had held their peace. James answered saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. James 
is kind of considered the grand, the the the, uh, the general superintendent, so to speak. He's kind of the leader, the chairman of the council. And he says, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles, or Peter, to take out them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophet as it is written. And he quotes Amos chapters 9 verses 11 through 12 when he says, After this I will return and build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all these things. James is reminding the church that a prophet of Old Testament, a Jewish prophet in the Old Testament, had prophesied under the unction of the Spirit that the Gentiles would receive salvation. James is calling on them to remember this. He's reminding them, hey, God already took care of this. In fact, he says, Knowing unto God are known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence or my advice is this that we trouble them not from which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. And then he gives them some criteria. This is what he says. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, or named Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. Okay? James says, this is important. Here's what we're going to do. We're not going to make them become Jewish proselytes. When they've been baptized in Jesus' name and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. What we're going to do is we're going to give them some guidelines that will help them live for God. It, it shouldn't come to any surprise. This is what Paul believed. In fact, Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 and says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, in this present world. What Paul's trying to tell Titus, who is a Gentile, by the way, he's trying to let Titus understand, listen, you've been given grace, but that grace is going to teach you and guide you. It's what Jesus said about the Holy Ghost in John 14, 26. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Okay? It's to guide and to orchestrate and to give you principles and, and to, to, to help you live for Him. Now, Pastor James gave some standards. They're very important. The first thing that he addresses are things or pollution or, or meat offered to idols. James says, stay away from idolatry. James is wise. Has to be the Holy Ghost speaking through him because his wisdom, it, and, it's, and it's, almost, uh, it's, it's, it's almost a taste of foreshadowing. Because James is addressing what the church is going to deal with for the next 400 years. I'll even go it so far what the church is still dealing with today. Okay? He begins to tell, tell them. He says, admonish the Gentiles that they stay away from idolatrous practices. The pollution of idols. Stay away from stuff that mixes paganism with Christianity. Okay, 
Don't even mess with. Don't even, don't even eat the food offered to idols. Stay away from idol worship. Guys, this is so important. This is so big. Because paganism is such a wide spiritual or religious view. It is in every corner of the world. And Judaism and Christianity emerge as a one God belief system. They are not normal. The norm is to have a pantheon of gods, a horde of gods, a multiplicity of gods. The Jews started it and the Christians believed it that there's only one God. The only difference is is that Jews were still waiting for their God to show up. And the Christians understood that the God of the Old Testament had shown up in the man, Christ Jesus. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's the belief of the first century church. There is no trinity in the first century church. It's the understanding that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from every creature. He is God manifest in flesh. The problem is, is that, uh, God help me, the advice of James, while it was good for a few years, it became watered down by paganism. And the more Greek and Roman pagans were converted to Christianity, the more they brought their pagan ideas with them. And we have entire denominations founded on teaching, not of the Bible, but of pagan philosophers. Okay? The first century church said stay away from the idolatry. By the second century, they were putting it in their writings. Okay? James is trying to warn against the dangers of idolatry. He then talks about stay away from fornication. He deals with with religious sin and he deals with sexual sin. Stay away from fornication. Stay away from things strangled and from blood. All of these things are issues of separation that would keep the Christians in line with serving God. There were four requirements, church. There wasn't a list. There were four requirements that James hit that said, this is what we need to tell the church to do, and if they'll do this, they'll be successful in living for God. The same is true today. We've got to stay away from Idolatry. My Lord, if I could, if, if, if we could just get to understanding that, that really those first two, that, 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 that separation from idolatry and that separation from, from sexual sin, just about everything, everything in the book falls under those two things right there. Got the Holy Ghost now, Pastor. I don't know why I've got to dress different. Well, because I don't want you committing fornication. I mean, it, it, 
that's really it. Well, I, I, I want you to be careful with that because you'll end up worshiping a God that's a false God if you're not careful. If you get too involved in that, you could be worshiping at the foot of an idol. Well, glory. It's, it's tight, but it's right. Praise God. That's what James said. He said, go back and tell them. And so that's exactly what they did. They wrote letters. And the apostles and elders and brothers send greeting unto the brethren, which are in the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. And for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by the mouth? By mouth, it, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols or pollution to idols, from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. For the record, the blood and the fornication, a lot of those things have to do with idol worship too, by the way. From which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Man, that's what I want to do. I want to do well. It's like Jesus said, I, I, I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to do well. Amen? Amen? And, and, and so I, I, want, I want to do everything I can in living for God and, and everything I can in helping you live for God. I want you to do well. Amen. Well, glory. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced from, for the consolation. Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace for the brethren, from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued <clears throat> teach in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So they begin to preach and teach. They're doing all that they can do. They're having a great time in Antioch. Silas decides to stay. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname is Mark. If you'll remember from Acts 13, or I believe it's Acts chapter 12 actually, uh, that Mark was taken with Barnabas and Paul and got scared on the journey. And he went back home. Barnabas is determined to take, with, take Mark with him again. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. Here we see a disagreement. Okay, There was a sharp contention. There was a disagreement. And the dream team broke up. Okay, There was a breakup. It's not me, it's you. Praise God. They broke up. They went their separate ways as brothers and said, okay, you know what, let's do this. Barnabas, remember, if you'll remember from Genesis chapter, uh, end of chapter 4, first of chapter 5, if you'll remember correctly, you'll remember that Barnabas was called the son of consolation. He was an encourager. Here we see Barnabas in that role again, telling John Mark, hey, I know you made a mistake, but I want you to come with me. Now remember, Paul... Love him, bless his heart. Paul is a black and white kind of guy. You either in or you out. I don't have time to waste time. 
I, I'm, I don't have time to sit here and baby you. Okay, that's Paul. You would, let me tell you, out of the two, you would not want Paul to be your pastor. I don't want Paul to be my pastor. Paul would Paul be rough, okay? It's just the way he was. And so because of his personality, he said, you know what? I think it would be best. I'll take Silas with me. You take him and see if you can do anything with him. Now, this is not in the book of Acts, but I want to end on this note. The Bible tells us, I believe it's the book of Timothy, Paul writes a letter to Timothy. And in his, as he's getting ready to die, he's, not, he, he's on the verge of dying. He'll be executed not many, not many uh, years from this letter. He says something to the effect of, oh, and by the way, bring Mark with you, for he, I, I have need of him. He's, very, he's, very, uh, he's needed for the gospel right now. Barnabas had taken this young man who had made a mistake, who hadn't stuck when it was hard, when it was times were getting rough, Barnabas had come true to his name and his calling and he had encouraged a young man by the name of John Mark and at the end of Paul's life Paul regrets that he never gave him another chance and said no bring him I need to see John Mark the story does not end there though the Bible says uh, or the, if, you, if you study your Bible you'll find very quickly that there's a gospel written by a man by the name of Mark who is Mark? Mark is the young quitter that quit a missions field that said, I don't have what it takes, and runs back home to mama. And yet there was a man that came back in and said, Mark, it's time to get up. It's time to do something for God. I know you messed up. I know you made a mistake, but you've got what it takes. And he would pin the words to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would tell us about the story of Jesus Christ, and he would be one of only four writers whose writings would end up in the Word of God itself. My friend, it does matter who you mentor. It does matter who you, whose hand, who, who, whose life your hand is on. If the greatest thing I ever do is raise a world changer, I'll be successful. Moms and dads, it does matter. Saints of God, it does matter. Hey, I know everybody's in different situations. Some of you have kids, some of you don't. Some of your kids have already left home. That's okay. It does matter who you're touching. You have the ability to develop and mentor somebody to do something great for God. I, I, I get tickled every time. I get tickled every time. Sermons I preach. HYC this last week had 2,000 plus people there. I was able to preach at HYC. I'm going to North Dakota this next week. My phone's been blown up. I must have done good at HYC because my phone's been blown up for the last four days. I'm like, my Lord, I'm about to go get a travel trailer. Not really. Don't worry about that. I'm not about to do that. Just joking. Okay? It's been crazy. But you know what's funny to me? Is every time I preach, that man's fingerprints are all over me. All over me. Even stuff I say, Bishop, I quote you all the time. Amen. That's just what happens. I had a man grab me the other day a couple of weeks ago at district conference and say, you know, you're like you are because you're of your parents. I said, absolutely. Their hands are all over me. I, I don't consider myself anything great. I'm not trying to pin roses on me. I'm just trying to say, tell you that you have the ability to impact people. And there are, pe there are kids sitting on our pews right now. 
Barnabas, there are, there are John Marks sitting on the pews right now, and they're going to make mistakes, and they're going to do stupid stuff. But that's okay. Just keep loving them. Just keep mentoring them. Just keep pressing with them. Keep believing in them. I know Paul may have be impatient with them, but you keep loving them. God's going to raise up a generation to do his will. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Amen. Why don't we just lift our hands and thank God for his word. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity.